Hey there, good morning. Um, no matter where you are right now, no matter what's going on in uh, your life, uh, you might be alone in your apartment or home, uh, you might have uh, kids running around yelling and screaming. Uh, what we want you to know this morning is that you are not alone, uh, that you are gathered with saints here with us right now all over, but uh, there are thousands and perhaps millions more believers gathered around the country and around the world worshiping from home right now. Um, and we are together in spirit. And not only that, but we know that we can go nowhere that God doesn't go with us. And so, uh, and that's not just a platitude, that is for real. God is right now where you are. Uh, no matter, even if you feel like I'm a million miles away from him or I've run far away, I haven't walked with God for a long time and this has got me kind of spooked, this whole uh, corona thing and, and I'm scared, I'm concerned and I'm here and I'm feeling like maybe I've blown this whole deal and if he is real, I've left him in the dust. I want you to know this, no matter how many steps you've taken away from him, he is only one step behind you. You only have to turn and see that he is with you and he is with all of us. And so uh, as we read our scripture this morning, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would not only be with us as we know he is, that he would make his presence known to you and to me and to all of us who are scattered around in our homes or cars, watching on our phones or TVs or wherever that may be. Uh, if you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can pull it out. Uh, it's Palm Sunday, and so we're going to read uh, one of the Palm Sunday texts this morning out of John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. If you have your Bible, you can look there. It's also on the screen uh, below. Uh, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we come to you this morning, uh, again, scattered all over, and uh, we're asking that you would show up and that you would be with us. Father, that you would turn uh, this room that I am in and all the rooms and places that people are scattered watching this, even if it's later, uh, even if it's recorded, that you would fill that room with a, a sense of your presence, that you would turn all of those places into holy places, into sanctuaries of your presence, that, that they would be aware that you are with us. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might find hope and truth in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, so again, this is uh, Palm Sunday. It begins what's called Holy Week. And if you're not familiar with that, it just means the week between Palm Sunday and Easter. It's the, the last week of Jesus' life. And, and, and that's what's actually going on here, actually, as we enter into this passage, that uh, right now it would be Palm Sunday, and Jesus would be entering into Jerusalem. And, and he knows that he's heading into the, the last few days of his life. That come uh, on Thursday, he's going to be betrayed and turned over to the authorities. On Friday, he's going to be sentenced to death and killed. And then, uh, unbeknownst to everyone else, and in the middle of their horror, as this week kind of rounds off to an end, that there is a new day and new life coming as he's going to be resurrected on Easter. But Jesus is thinking about all those things as he's 
heading into Jerusalem. He's been ministering for several years in the, the regions surrounding, and now he's, he's heading into, into, uh, into Jerusalem. And as he is, news of his teachings, that he spoke with a man with authority like nobody had ever heard before, and his miracles that he had done are like kind of spreading out before him and going into the city. Now, in the city, this is Passover, this is the holiest, like biggest deal time in the Jewish nation. And uh, about 30 some years later, a historian said that he estimated about two and a half million people were in and around the city of Jerusalem for the Passover. And so no matter what the number is, that's a little bit inflated, it's a huge amount of people that have rushed into Jerusalem here for this holiest, biggest season in the Jewish calendar. They're all there in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, which is remembering God's salvation of his people out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, and bringing them out and eventually into a land flowing of milk and honey. And uh, they're remembering that great salvation, and it's the biggest deal that's going on. And, and as they're celebrating and worshiping and gathering in this city, now Jesus is getting ready to come into the city. And as the news spreads that Jesus is coming, that man has been teaching and healing, and a new kind of wave of news passes through, and that is that, hey, a couple of days ago, this man named Lazarus, this town called Bethany, Jesus, he had been dead for several days, and Jesus showed up, and he, he commanded Lazarus to come forth out of the grave, and you know what happened? That man, that body, came back to life, and he came out of the grave back to Jesus. And so they're thinking, hey, if, if, this, is, if this is the man who's coming, who is, has some sort of control and power, even to call life from death, then, then maybe this guy is the Messiah. And this is a, a person, the, the king, actually, that the nation of Israel had been waiting for. Uh, they had been oppressed for a long time, conquered by the Roman powers. They've been conquered for actually many, many many years and generations before this. They hadn't seen their glory days, their golden days in a long time. And they've been told that in Scripture that there was a Messiah, which means that there was a king who was coming that was going to rule and reign over Israel. And he was going to take all that was wrong and make it right. And so there's this thought, this wondering that maybe this Jesus, who if he has power to call death uh, life from death to, to abolish death, maybe he's the one who's coming, who's going to be the king, who's going to fulfill. And so as he, as he starts to, actually he gets on a donkey and he comes starts to come into the city. As he's coming down this mountain, it says the crowds gather and they started to quote this, these quotes from the, a psalm, Psalm 118. And they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Because they knew that this these wording from this psalm was about this great king, this great Messiah who was going to come again, who was going to take all that was wrong and make it right. And see, that's one of the first things that we have to understand if we're going to think about who Jesus is and what he did. What, what's this deal about Jesus? We have to understand one of the first things is that Jesus is a king. That, that Jesus is the king who has come to take all that is wrong and set it right again. Uh, that Jesus is the good king who has come. And, and so let's look at this passage and see what does this passage tell us about what kind of king Jesus is. As the people are crying out, here comes the king, the king of Israel, Hosanna. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The first thing this tells us is that Jesus is a king who cares. Uh, and here's how we know that, that right before uh, Jesus enters, or actually during this whole entry into Jerusalem, 
There are several accounts in the, the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all Gospels, or the stories of the life and death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And, and in all, all the accounts about Jesus entering Jerusalem, it says that he stopped and as he was overlooking the city on the mountain, and he looked out over the city, and, and Luke tells us in 1941, he says, he says that Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept. Jesus looked as he saw the state the city was in. He saw the state of the people under oppression, of people who had, who had uh, even though they were God's people, had turned away from him and ran away. It says he looked at them and he had pity and compassion upon them. In fact, we see that over and over again in the life of Jesus. That he looks out on the crowds and he has pity or he has compassion among the people. It says that Jesus looked out over the city and he wept. And then it tells us that Jesus looked out and as he looked over the city, he said, Jerusalem Oh, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks. And the picture there is like a, like just as a hen, a, a bird would take their babies and bring them under the protective covering of their wings to keep them safe from the elements and keep them safe from predators. And they would gather them in. He says, how I have longed to gather you in and, and protect you and pull you in and fix what is wrong with you. And yet you have struggled. You've turned away from me. You have went away from that. It says that how often I would gather you and you were not willing. See, as Jesus looks out of the city of Jerusalem, he weeps and he's moved with compassion for them because they were his people. They were the people that God had chosen to be his people. He had provided for them over and over again. We've already said that he delivered them out of Egypt. He over and over again provided for them in the wilderness. He took them through the Red Sea. He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them birds out of nowhere when they were hungry for meat. He gave them water out of a rock. And then he delivered them by his hand into a land that they had, did not own, the land of Canaan, where they were able to overcome the, the adversaries who were more powerful and more numerous than they. And he delivered them over and over again. He had cared for them and provided for them. He loved them. They were his people, his covenant people. There's this uh, phrase that we see in the English uh, Bible, particularly through the Old Testament. It says, uh, it's called the steadfast love of the Lord. In fact, we heard it in our call to worship this morning on the Psalm 118. That word, that when you, those words where you see steadfast love, it, it has, it means, it's this one word in the Hebrew. It, it has, it means a, a covenantal love of God. And, and here's what that means. It, it means that that God has placed his love on his people, not because of anything that they have done to earn it, not if you are one of God's people, not out of anything that you have done to earn it. He places his love on his people simply because he places it there. He loves them because they're his people, and they are his people because he loves them. And it's a, a covenant love. It says that, that as long as God lives, he will honor, he will covenant. He will fulfill his part of pouring out his love and care on his people. And as he, God looks, as Jesus stands on the side of the mountain and looks over God's people, his heart is stirred with compassion. He cries tears over them as he thinks about the state that they're in. And that's what Jesus is doing today. I don't know what is going on in all our lives as we're watching this, where you are, uh, what kind of fear that you're dealing with? What kind of concerns? You might be wondering, like, I've lost my job. I've been furloughed. 
Uh, my kids, I don't know if they're getting the proper education that they need. You might be wondering, I don't know what's going to happen to my savings. What's, what, I own a business. What's going to happen three or four months from now or a year from now? What about my mortgage? Uh, what am I going to tell the, my creditors? Uh, you might be wondering, like, it, it, do, do I have the coronavirus? You might be wondering, like, do, do my friends? What about my, my parents and my, my grandparents, my neighbors? You might be racked with concern. You're stuck in your house more than you ever have been, and you're just stuck with internet and just to your own thoughts, and over and over again, and you're just wondering, man, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? It can send you into a dark place, right? If you call the news, it's just like more and more just coming at you, just more and more cases, more deaths, more cases, more uncertainty, economic and otherwise, all across the world. And here's what I know, is that Jesus looks out over us, and he has compassion. He cares for us. He weeps over all of us. He cares about what you care about. He cares about your situation. He cares about your family and your finances. He is moved with compassion for you. And if you are a believer in Christ, here's what we know is that you are in that position of under the steadfast love of the Lord. He has placed his steadfast, his covenantal love upon you. And there is nowhere you can go to escape that. And sometimes we are wondering, like, God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? But sometimes we, we, we remember, well, we fail to remember that he is right there looking at us. And he is still the king, and he still is on the throne, and, and he cares for us. You know how much he cares? And how we know that he cares? Because as he was entering the city of Jerusalem, on the back of that donkey, with the people raising adulations, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He knows in a few days those same crowds are going to turn and that he's going to be tried for something he did not do. He's going to be wrongfully accused. He's going to be convicted and he's going to suffer incredibly under the hands of the Jews and the soldiers and he's going to die. And the worst thing will happen is he, the Son of God, will be separated from the presence of God the Father for the first time in eternity and he, as he bears the weight of the sin and the judgment that we deserve, even though the God's steadfast love has been put on us, though we have rebelled against him, he will receive the rightful judgment for the rebellion of his people, the people that he loved but yet turned away, that he was weeping over. Jesus is a king who cares. How do we know that? Because of the cross. Because of what we're celebrating this week. He cared enough to give himself for you and for me to suffer incredibly and immeasurably under our judgment. He cares. He cares all the way to death. He cares all the way to the cross. He cares for you. And you say, man, I might be one of those people. I've been running away. I've been turning away. Maybe I have was in church when I was a kid, or maybe I was in church a while ago, or, man, I never thought this Christianity thing was something legit, and I've been running hard from him. And here's the message for you today. If, wake up and see. Let this incredible crisis that we're in, let it serve a good purpose, though it was meant for evil, to wake you up and see that there is a king, and that king cares for you, and he cared all the way to the cross. You see, we have a king who cares, and we also have a king, this tells us, a king who comes. So we have a king who comes. He comes, first of all, to a people in trouble. 
Listen to the cries of the crowd as Jesus is coming down the mountain on that donkey. They're singing out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that word Hosanna is an interesting word. It, it really means, Lord, save us. They're crying out, Lord, save us. The king is coming. They're saying, save us, king, as you are coming. Save us, Lord. He said, you don't cry out, Lord, save us, unless you know that you're in trouble. You don't cry out, Hosanna, until you know that you're in a place of danger. And many of us, because of our own personality or our strength or our uh, ability to earn or the state of our economy or the comfortable lifestyle that we have as most of us being Americans, because of those things, most of us haven't felt our true sense of trouble and our true sense of need. And it's times like this that wake us up to see, wow, I am in need, I am in trouble. And it causes us to stir us to cry out and say, Hosanna. And here's the thing, if he's a king who cares and he's a king who comes to a people in trouble, you know what that means? That means he's a king especially to those who are in trouble. That's who Jesus is a king for. He's not a king for the comfortable. He's not a king for the secure. He's not a king for the ones who the system are working for. He's a king for those who are the bottom. He's a king for those who are in need. Maybe you've heard the Sermon on the Mount before. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's where the message of the king comes to because he comes to those who are in trouble. And is a king especially to those who are troubled. He comes to those who are troubled and he comes to us. He comes to his people. Here's the incredible thing about this picture. Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem knowing what's going to happen. He's telling his disciples around him for months leading up to this point, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the authorities in Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again. He's been telling them. They, they've been missing it. They've been kind of thinking maybe speaking in an analogy or some kind of metaphor. They're, they're not sure what's going on, but he's been telling them for a while, and yet he still comes, and he comes to his people. And here's the thing. He didn't send help. That's what I would have done. If I was almighty and powerful, I would have said, hey, let's figure out a way we can send help to these people I want to help. Let's find an army, let's find some kind of force, let's find some kind of technology, let's find something that can fix this and let's send help to these people. But Jesus didn't send someone else or something else to help us. He came to us to help us. He didn't send help. He was the help himself. Jesus is the king who comes to his people and he comes to calm our fears. Do you see that in verse 14 and 15? And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as written. And this was the prophecy that he, one of the prophecies that he was fulfilling. Fear not, daughter of Zion. He's, when it says daughter of Zion, he's speaking to the, the, the people of Israel. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Fear not. Behold, your king is coming. Jesus comes to those who are in trouble and he comes to us and he comes to calm our fears. It's the most commanded command in scripture, fear not or do not fear. And why does he come to calm our fears? How does that, those fears get calm? Because the king has come. 
That fear comes to us because, because we have a sense of helplessness, because we have a sense of really what's going on is we have a sense that we're under the rule or reign of somebody or something else. There's something that I don't have control over and somebody else or something else has control and so therefore I fear when I don't feel I have control over the situation. And as he says, fear not, daughter of Zion, fear not, behold, here's why you cannot fear, because you're king. Look, behold, your king is coming. We cannot fear. There's an ability for us to not fear in the middle. Think about the, you've probably heard Psalm 23. Uh, Even through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because God is with me. Uh, Now, what he didn't say is, hey, everything is good around me. Did you hear the wording there? Even in the valley of the shadow of death. He says, you spread a table before me in the very presence of my enemy. He doesn't always do away with the enemy. Sometimes Jesus healed people. And they're saying Hosanna and crying out to Jesus as he enters the city of Jerusalem because they're thinking, man, he's turned water into wine. He's multiplied bread and fish. Uh, He has cared for. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. He's going to come here and he's going to do all those things for us. And yet he didn't do that that we have record of as he was in the city of Jerusalem. You know what he came to do? He came to quell and calm the very basis of our fears, which is death. Here's how you can fear no evil. Because the king has come and the king has come to us and he's come to abolish death and replace the rule of death and sin and sickness and disease with his righteous rule. He's come to make all that is wrong right again. Jesus came to calm fear and he came humbly. Now that's where the, the kind of this picture of the, the people who are crying out for the king of Israel to enter the city of Jerusalem. Uh, what, what would happen is a, a conqueror or a great leader, a great military leader, would enter into a city on the back of a war horse. And his followers would cheer at his coming and know that he's going to come, he's going to put together an army, and we're going to fight our enemies together. And yet Jesus, as he enters the city, and he orchestrates this whole event, as if you look at some of the other accounts, he orchestrated where the donkey was going to be and who was going to get it and how everything was going to happen. He was the king with a complete knowledge. And he, he comes not on the back of a war horse, he mounts himself on the back of, the, of a baby donkey. And what he's saying by doing that, he's fulfilling a prophecy, but in fulfilling the prophecy, he's declaring, I'm not coming to overcome our enemies through war and battle and armies. I'm coming humbly. He's a king who's incredibly approachable. There are normal, ordinary peasants praising him and worshiping him, waving the palm leaves and laying them down in front of him. He's incredibly approachable, humble on the back of a donkey. Why? Because it was through his great humility that salvation would be secured for his followers. It was through death that the king's reign would be secured. As he conquered the great enemy that we all had, and the only way to conquer, there's no way, no political answer, no financial answer. It had to be by sacrifice. And that's why he came humbly on the back of a donkey. He didn't just come because we were troubled. He came into our troubles and took them himself. 
And he came knowing he would be rejected. Like he's going forth like, he, like into the jaws of the lion, knowing that these very people who are singing and who are crying out Hosanna and calling him the king of Israel, some of these very people will be parts of the crowds who only days from now would be saying, crucify him. That the religious leaders that are standing by watching him right now, they will soon be conspiring on how to turn him over to the authorities and have him crucified at false charges of people. Jesus came knowing he would be rejected. He's a king who cares and a king who comes, but we can't ignore this. Jesus is a king, and a king, here's what a king does, he creates a kingdom. You see, Jesus is a king, and there are certain implica implications of Jesus being king or anybody, anybody being king. See, first of all, a king rules. A king is in charge. And by Jesus entering the city, accepting the adulation of the people, calling him king, riding the back of a donkey, entering just like a king, and later on, even at his trial, as, as we see it in Matthew 27, even at his trial, they say, hey, is it true that you're the king of Israel? He says, hey, what you say is true. You said it. He would be tried as the king of Israel. And the, the accusation over him on the cross would read, here is the king of the Jews. That was his accusation against him. He was the king, and he is the king, and a king rules and reigns. That means the king is in charge. And so for us to accept that Jesus king means that he is a king, and he is going to rule. Here's the other thing that happens with a king. A king not only rules, but a king has a kingdom. That means he has a people under his rule and reign. But not only is Jesus saying that he is a king, Jesus is saying that he's the king. Jesus claims absolute and utter sovereignty or kingship over all creation, over all of eternity. He is the king of kings, and he is the lord of all other lords. See, he is creating a new kind of kingdom where he rules and reigns, and he has subjects who are under him, under his rule, under his reign, and he creates a whole new economy, a whole new system, a whole new way of thinking about life and relationships and money and sex and uh even politics. He's a whole new way of thinking about life because he's the king and he determines it. What does it mean to be a part of God's kingdom or Jesus' kingdom? It means, first of all, it means that we accept his rule. See, here's the thing. You're not a Christian. You're not a believer in Christ. You might kind of believe some things around Christianity, but you're not a Christian unless you accept Jesus' rule and reign over your life. There's no such thing as a Jesus who's an advisor, or a Jesus who's a political savant, or Jesus who's a political guide. There's Jesus as king, or there's Jesus as nothing. Well, actually, he's king either way. There's either me bowing my knee to him as king, or there's nothing. To be a part of God's kingdom means I accept his rule and reign. It means that he is Lord. That's why we sing songs and we call him Lord. And we, as we pray, we call him Lord or King because he is the one who rules and reigns. He tells us what to do and we respond in obedience. He is the King over all. And so the very heart, the very core of what it means to be Christian means to accept the rule and reign of Jesus as our King. 
And what comes with that is his protection. That's why they're seeking Hosanna, come and save us. They're crying out to him because under the rule and reign of the king is found protection. All the power, all of the might of the king protects and hangs over like the, the hen that draws his chicks under, the chicks underneath her. So as the king draws his people underneath his protective canopy. And there's under the king's rule and reign, there is protection. And we enjoy his protection, but there's no protection apart from him being the ruler. And then the other thing that happens is his as his subjects, is that we emulate his ways. We don't just say, hey, God, you're king. Jesus, you're king. And we go out and do our own thing. We are under his rule and we emulate his ways. We, we find ourselves walking in the footsteps of Jesus, who is the humble king on the donkey, who suffered and served for the sake of the people and the kingdom. See, Jesus comes in and as he does, he not everybody around accepts him. He challenges the political hopes that are in the crowd. There's some of those crowds are going to turn against him and say, no, hey, we thought you were going to come in and you're going to heal and raise from the dead and you're going to conquer the Romans, but if you're not going to do that, I'm out. And there are religious leaders who are standing around and says, hey, if you're not going to participate in this religious system that gives us power, then you are out of this, dude. We are going to falsely accuse you and we're going to get you out of the picture. But see, even though Jesus is a good and compassionate king who came to help, yet he came and he was rejected by his own people and he has been continually rejected by people since then when, we, when he does not do things the way that we want him to do. You see, sometimes he heals. Sometimes he delivers in the way we expect him to. And sometimes we're in the valley of the shadow of death and our enemies are encamped around him. And that's when we're sorely tested to see, is Jesus king or am I king? Am I under his rule and his protection or am I trying to use him to accomplish my own agenda? And here's the truth about Jesus king. Just as these crowds and religious authorities, he will not be used by them for his own purposes, for their purposes. He will not be used by any of us for ours. But there is such a freedom from humbling yourself under the rule of Jesus and his reign. See, there's only two responses to the king. We reject him and his claims like the religious leaders and the Jews and the Romans did. They rejected Jesus out of envy. They mocked him as king. They hung over his head on the cross, the accusation. Or we cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. So I urge you this morning, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stop what you're doing right now. Consider the claims of Jesus Christ as king and ruler. And know that no matter what is going on around you, that there's protection found under his rule and reign, but only under his rule and reign. And if you have not bowed your knee to him as king, then this morning, let this be the morning that you do so. And if you are a Christian, then let this encourage you, but let, all, let this also freshly convict you that it is only under the rule and reign of Jesus that even in the valley of the shadow of death, even when enemies are encamped around us, can we find safety and security. Now, there's going to be a number that's going to appear on the screen in a moment. And as it does, 
this morning, if there's something going on in your life, maybe God's convicting you of something, maybe you're making a decision to follow Christ, you want to know what it means to be a Christian and accept His rule and reign over you, then text this number right below at the bottom of the screen, 843-428-2020, and let us know what's going on in your life. Maybe you don't even know what's going on. You say, man, some, God is doing something in me. I've been racked with fear. I've been racked by doubt, and I feel freshly convicted. I want to know what it means to acknowledge Him as King. I want somebody to, to talk with me and to pray for me. Then text this number. We'd be glad to help you, to serve you, to pray for you in any way that we possibly can. I'm going to pray and uh, they're going to come back up, Jeremy and Truett. They're going to lead us in worship. And wherever you are, worship fresh from the truth that Jesus is King and his, He cares and He came and He's creating a kingdom and one day He's going to come and make it all right again. And until then, those of us who are believers, we live under His rule and reign knowing that nothing can truly steal what matters as long as we are under His kingship and lordship. Father, I thank You the fact that you are king no matter what happens around us, that whether things seem up or down in the middle of a pandemic or when things are great, that you are Lord of lords and king of kings, that under your rule and reign we find salvation. God, help us to rest there and to enjoy that, uh, even in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, that we can fear no evil. And let us cry from our souls through this holy week. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.